0: Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today, feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson.
1: If you have your Bibles, open them please to Philippians chapter one. We're going to start in Philippians chapter one. We're going to look at one sentence. One sentence is all we'll talk about. Philippians chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. That's all one sentence. Let me just read one more sentence. We're not going to get to this today, but Lord willing, we will soon. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote this? Do we know that Paul the Apostle was in Rome? He was chained to a Roman soldier, and yet he talks about joy. We're gonna talk about the elements of joy this week and Lord willing next week. The elements of joy. He was lonely. Can you imagine now, I know what it is to sit in a prison cell. I don't know what it is to sit in a dungeon. You have a soldier that you're chained to. In Timothy, who really had Paul's heart, he really knew. As a matter of fact, that's what he says in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state he was talking about Timothy and talking to the church at Philippi. He says, Timothy was like minded, somebody who knew his heart, a kindred spirit, and he was going to be sending Timothy back. He was going to be sending Timothy away. So he knew that when Timothy left, he would be alone. Does he moan? Does he groan? Epaphroditus had brought some help and an offering and letters of encouragement to Paul while he was there at Rome. And he brought all those and Epaphroditus was soon going to go back and take this letter that Paul had penned and give it back to the Philippians. So he wanted to encourage them. But the main idea of this book is a book of joy. So that's why we're looking at the elements of joy today. He knew he was going to be lonely, he knew he'd be isolated, he knew he'd be separated. There's none of that wondering, oh God, why are you, where are you? Oh God, why are you letting this happen to me? When are you gonna move? When are you going to act? Why am I going through all of this? There's no moaning and groaning on Paul's part. It just isn't there. Paul doesn't look at things in that sense. Now I've sat in a prison cell, and I moaned and groaned. And I would call my wife and say, oh, you've got to come see me. And I couldn't wait to get letters. And you know what? I can understand how Paul feels when he got a letter from the church at Philippi and some help and encouragement and income. What a, what a blessing that was to him. And so he wants to encourage them. But he wasn't worried about all of those things Paul is really kind of displaced. He is caught out where he couldn't join the brethren anymore. He couldn't go and meet with the church there at Philippi. And he couldn't worship like he was used to in the churches. Couldn't worship God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't be part of the ordinances that were being done. He couldn't lead the people in wonderful joy of fellowship. He was dispossessed. He was out of place. He was put away. He was mercilessly criticized by his enemies. Now there are some that were saying of Paul, well see, this is your fault. God is getting you back because you're a false apostle. And God is just showing you then trying to get your attention. And Paul knew better. He knew that his enemies that were criticizing everything he did. Saying God was punishing him. He knew that he had been faithful to the ministry that God had given him. Those that were criticizing him. the Saying that he had failed. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord. Paul is rejoicing. You know that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament. And it says in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit Is love, joy, peace? Part of the fruit of the Spirit is that you're going to have joy even in miserable times. Romans 14, 17 says that we have in the kingdom righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. And here I've really kind of condensed a definition of what true spiritual joy, because it's not related to our circumstances. If we were to define it, it's, it's not in our circumstances. It's a gift of God to those who believe in the gospel of Christ. It's being produced in them by the Holy Spirit because they receive and obey the word of God. Even though it may be mixed with trials. Even though their focus may be on eternal joy. So really, there is a theology of joy. A theology of joy. In other words, when we have a theology, we act on that. What we truly believe, what we truly hold to, we put that into practice in our life. If you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're looking to Him on a day-by-day basis, looking for His help. So the theology of joy, as I call it, not related to circumstances, but it's the gift of God through Jesus Christ, that's being produced in your life by the Holy Spirit. And as we obey the Holy Spirit, and even though the trials come, the situations come, we keep our focus on God, on the eternal glory. So we have a man here in a very difficult, very serious situation in which he will soon lose his life. He's literally gushing with joy because he has lost sight of his circumstances and is lost in the wonder of the living relationship of the true God through Jesus Christ. This is an epistle of joy. And that's why, as Paul writes, his joy spills over all over the place. Is that, did I say that correctly? <laughs> his joy is all over. And so let's look at, in verse 3, let's look at the first element of joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You see, there is a joy in recollection. There is a joy when we can remember. And when the the Holy Spirit brings sweet memories. You thought back, thought back about somebody who that's just been a blessing in your life. And you can think about all of those wonderful things. I thank God in all of my remembrance of you. You see, someone who is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life... It causes that joy, and their joy is going to be manifested in the fact that they somehow, the tape has been erased of all the wrongdoings, the negative things. They remember the best in people. That's what joy produces. It's the joy of recollection. The heart where the Holy Spirit produces joy is that He thinks about people's goodness, their kindness, their love, their care. It erases, they forget about all of the areas where maybe they've been done wrong, but they remember the sacrifice. They remember the compassion, and they forget the rest. Joy has a way of forgetting the wounds in the hearts. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like love covering a multitude of sins. You know, that is in the Bible, First Peter 4 and 8. It's quoted from Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Joy has a way of approaching our memories and causing us to remember what great times and we forget the tough times. And since memories control our attitudes, it's crucial that we let the Spirit of God produce this joy in us. The joy of recollection, the heart that cultivates good memories of God's people, of the good times. I remember back of sitting in some hot summer days and some churches that... Well, we used to have swamp coolers. We didn't have air conditioning in those days. And I can remember sitting there and just enjoying the beautiful singing and testimonies and, and then hearing the Word of God in and, and, and those hot summer days, sitting even by a window because that was the only relief you were going to get. But it was a joy. The negative things were gone. You don't remember the flies or you don't remember all the other parts. You remember the joy of recollection and how your spirit fell. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com We also now live stream services on stockton all one word, .com, or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you, and back to our podcast. Well, that's not all, but he says here in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. He's always offering prayer with joy. Every prayer request. Two times he uses the word prayer, desus, which means a petition. His joy was expressed in the joy of intercession. He wanted to be able to intercede for others. The Holy Spirit generated this joy and it finds its highest expression really in the delight that it. Receives from praying for somebody else's needs. When we're concerned for someone else, it's selfless. It's consumed with prayer on behalf of others. It's not concerned about its own things, not concerned about its own happiness, its own comfort, its own fulfillment, its own satisfaction. It's lost in the thrill and the delight of praying for others needs that they would be met. And the privilege to petition on the of the others. What a privilege that is that we have the joy that we can look to the Lord and ask that he would just bless someone else without us being in the scene. So that you would see the hand of God blessing someone else. And that is a cause of joy. That's the joy of intercession. Well, there's another element here, the joy of participation. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm going to stop right there. For I thank God with joy in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The partition, participation is the word and it's konia. your fellowship. Paul knew the joy of fellowship. Now, we're going to have to practice social distancing, but that doesn't mean that we can't fellowship. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the fellowship of one another. As a matter of fact, we're looking forward to being able to meet together again. We're looking forward to being able to actually be present all together. That we might be an encouragement to one another. That we might be a help to each other. So participation is fellowship and he knew the joy of fellowship. Do you know the joy of fellowship? That's part of the joy that the Holy Spirit gives. He just exulted in the reality that these people had come alongside of him to love him. He knew they had written him a letter, they had sent him some encouragement and support and he was just exalted in that that they would care about where Paul was and what he was going through. That they would be a part of his suffering, a part of his trial but he was Just joyful over that, that they loved him enough, that they cared, that they shared the life with him. I have to tell you, I know, and probably you can think of times in your life when somebody reached out, maybe just sent a card, phone call, and just shared with you that, hey, they love you, we care about you. We miss you. And what a joy that brought, because they participated, they cared about it, and Paul recognized that the church at Philippi was facilitating ministry with him. Because I have to believe that when Paul was chained to a soldier, he had a goal in mind that he was going to lead that man to the Lord. That he was going to lead that soldier to Christ. And that's why when you read in the epistle to Rome, there are many Romans, even in Caesar's house, and there are those of the centurions, And that's because I think Paul was chained to a centurion who heard about the gospel. Who sat down and said, boy, I'm so glad you're here. Who's chained to who? Because have you ever had somebody and they kind of buttonhole you and you just can't get away? Well, this man, it was his job. And then after, just think of it, that after a man came to Christ, after one of those centurions, I bet they were volunteering. I want to, give me Paul. Hook me up to that man. I want to hear what he has. I want to grasp some of those things that that he has in our life. Well, a joyful person is delighted to be part of the fellowship. A joyful person is delighted to be among the faithful. And perhaps it's a good time for us to do a little inventory in our lives to find out what is true joy as we reflect on our own heart and we know whether we have a joy of recollection, whether you have to think about people, and when you think about them, all of the things, good, bad, when you think about all of those, do you see those as being the positives? Do you see them as being the good things? And whether you have the joy of intercession, being able to pray for others, and whether it's the greatest pleasure for you to pray for others rather than for yourself, or whether you have the joy of participation, You're exhilarated. Just realize how many folks come alongside of you, become a part of the fellowship which you enjoy. Are you thrilled with the privilege of being in God's people? Are you thrilled with the privilege of being a part of the Lord's New Testament church? Being a member of the church? The joy of participation. He rejoiced because the Philippians had participated in the extension of the gospel from the time that they were saved to that present moment. Some 10 or 11 years later, when he wrote this letter, he remembered back to what happened coming about and bringing this church such a happy heart, happy to remember, happy to pray, happy to fellowship. There's joy. Well, there's one more, and this is really where I wanted to get, if we get through verse 6 today, amen, glory. That's really where I wanted to get today. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is a joy of anticipation. It's a joy in the heart when we know that the, where the Lord's churches are going to act, eventually become. You want to know something? If you look at what the church is, you might get discouraged. If you look at the state of the churches in our land, you might get discouraged. If you look at what the church is going to be, if you can see what the Lord's churches are going to make up, you can get very excited, and that's the perspective that Paul had. He had the perspective of what the Lord was going to do in his churches. I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will complete it. Will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He he pulls all the joy into the future of what God is doing. And he says, I am confident. That verb pith means I'm persuaded. To be absolutely convinced. So what he's saying here is, I'm absolutely persuaded and convinced of this very thing. What thing, Paul? That he who began a good work in you. Who was that? Well, that's God. God began the work. That's who started it. That's who has, has begun all of this. And it's interesting because it's only used two times in the New Testament. Enoarchomai. I know for all you Greek scholars that you were just wanting to know that. It's kind of a rare word. It's used here and in Galatians 3 and 3. And in both cases, it refers to salvation. In both cases, it talks about that God began a good work in you when he saved you is the idea. Galatians 3 and 3, talking to the Galatian church and those Christians. Have you begun in the Spirit and are now made perfect in the flesh? Again, pointing back to the salvation as to the point where the power of the Holy Spirit is coming. So it's a verb that's used only twice, but both times has a reference to salvation. So Paul says that God began the good work, and it was true. Salvation is the work of God. He does it all. Consider the church at Philippi. Have you thought about how the church came about in Philippi? Well, Scripture says there was a woman by the name of Lydia who worshipped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, Acts 16 and 14. She was the first convert in Philippi. She was probably widowed. She was working. She died and made beautiful purple material. Would have been very costly. But she was the first convert in Europe. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to know the truth. And later she lets her whole household know. And her whole household is saved. That's the work of God. That's God beginning to work through his word. And Paul gave the gospel. She recognized the truth. And she was saved. And that's the beginning of the church in Philippi. God began that work. Then God used a slave girl. You remember the woman, the girl that was demon-possessed, that was a soothsayer, a fortune-teller? She was making her possessors. I don't know, I wanted to use the word pimp, but maybe that's not the proper term. These other people were using her to try to get money, and she was an annoyance to Paul. And you remember the story how Paul and Silas are going on and she's following them and saying, these men show you a way of salvation. Like there's many ways of salvation. And pretty soon Paul is tired of this woman and he turns around and he casts out the demon and she becomes part, this slave girl becomes part of that Philippian church. Well that caused an uproar. And now these men that were making their wages off of this fortune teller they get upset, and what do they do? They get Paul and Silas thrown in jail. And you remember the story? How they they're singing at midnight, down in a dungeon, and the Lord comes and he releases everyone's chains and opens everyone's doors. And the Philippian jailer runs in and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, No, don't do it. We're all here, nobody's left. We're all right here. Everything is safe. And so the jailer takes Paul and Silas back to the house. And he leads not only the jailer, but also his household to the Lord. You see, from terrible situation, God began a great church. And that's, by the way, the only place where the direct question is asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now there are other times that the scripture talks about in a roundabout way, but he asked it directly And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Simple as that. Simple as that. It's not your works. It's nothing else.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.